Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. If the Holy Spirit takes up residency within your heart, no demon, not even Satan himself, can kick the Holy Spirit out of you. You understand that, right? Because the Holy Spirit is like a million times, million times stronger than Satan ever will be. Satan's an angel. The Holy Spirit is God. So if the Holy Spirit takes up residency within you, no demon or demons will ever be able to occupy that space. Now you can be oppressed, like demons messing with you. I believe that's true, absolutely. When you are filled by the Holy Spirit, you can't be overtaken by demons. Now, don't misunderstand what Pastor James is saying. With the Holy Spirit, you cannot be possessed, but you can be oppressed. Essentially, that means that you can still be affected by dark forces, but you can't be overtaken by them as long as the Holy Spirit's on your side. Today, as we continue unpacking the book of Mark, remind yourself that God has complete control and authority. Through His name, all things are possible. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Mark chapter one, I kept coming across these two verses and I'm like, I don't remember teaching on those at all. And lo and behold, it's, I went back and listened and I'm like, cause I didn't. This is not uncommon for me. You guys know this. This is also part of the joys of like going verse by verse through the word. Cause when I miss something, you can be like, Hey, you forgot this one. Right. And so it happens sometimes, but before we move on into Jesus casting out demons and all this good stuff, I do want you guys to look real quick at earlier on in the chapter, verses 14 and 15. And this technically segues really good into what we're talking about today. But we talked about Jesus calling disciples, these individuals that were fishermen, but then he calls them out to be fishers of men. You have Peter and Andrew, James and John. But right before that, there's 14 and 15, talks about John the Baptist. It says later on, later on after John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news or the gospel. Verse 15, the time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near, repent of your sins and believe the good news, right? So these are two verses. I don't know why, but they just, I blanked on those the last time. He's, Jesus is going around. Now we're going to talk about John getting arrested in Mark chapter six in further detail. Okay. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that because There's a very vivid account of him in jail, uh, arrested by Herod. So we'll go into that later when we get to chapter six. But John has been arrested. Jesus is going around. John is now, you know, locked up. And now Jesus is proclaiming the gospel. And he's letting them know, hey, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. The Messiah is at hand is what he's saying. And so his message to anybody and everybody kind of correlates exactly with John the Baptist's message. And that's repent, repent. And that's not a bad word. That's not a bad word. That seems like it's one of those, well, we don't want to hear that because we associate that with, you know, the hellfire and brimstone stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, because it it goes with that. Um, Repenting is a great thing. It's turning away from something that you place all your faith in, so to speak, i.e. yourself. It's turning away from that 
and placing your faith in something is giving your complete devotion to something or someone else, okay? That's what repentance is. It's stop heading in one direction and you stop and then you turn and then you head in the opposite direction. So Jesus is proclaiming that message and then he calls his disciples. So that's where we get, you know, he's going down the seashore and he calls out to Andrew and to Simon. They leave their nets and they go and they follow him. They fully commit to following Jesus. They already knew Jesus. They already met Jesus. All right. And some would even say it's, they may have met him a year prior to him calling them. So they already knew who he was. They were aware of him and they went all in on following Jesus. They didn't leave behind a dead-end job or a failing business or anything like that. They left behind a very lucrative job to follow Jesus. Did everybody leave behind their very lucrative job and career to follow Jesus? No, no, they don't. So if you have a career and that's where the Lord has placed you, then follow Jesus within that career, okay? That makes sense. Not everybody has to work at a church as if that's even following Jesus, because sometimes that's not, okay? You're just answering the call. Jesus showed up for these guys. They answered the call. John and James are the next ones. They leave their dad, who he's the one who owns the fishing company. They get out of his boat, and they fully commit to following Jesus. And there's going to be some other guys who come along the scene too, but we're not there yet. So as James and John and Peter and Andrew are with Jesus Now they start serving with him. This is where we pick up, verse 21. Verse 21 of Mark chapter one. I'm making sure I am not missing any verses. Looks like we're good to go. Okay, perfect. Jesus and his companions, his disciples, went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach, which is kind of customary for him. It wouldn't only be customary for Jesus, but it would be customary for the Apostle Paul as well. And the way that these synagogues, in case you guys don't know, synagogues were established within towns. And as long as you had 10 Jewish men within a community or a town, you can establish a synagogue. It's a place of worship. And they they never really had like one set person teaching. If you had a scribe or somebody of importance within the religious realm that was passing through town that day and on the Sabbath, then you would invite them to come and to share right? They would open up and they'd probably read from whatever the scripture for that day was. And most of the time, scribes would, they would just, you know, read from whatever the scripture was going to be for that day. And then they'd spend a lot of time just quoting what other guys had already said about that scripture. Okay. So Jesus, when he had the opportunity, you know, he would show up and he went to the synagogues and they probably issued him an invitation to share with us. Okay. And that's what he's doing. He's going synagogue, He shows up in in Capernaum, which is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee there. Beautiful little fishing village. This actually, the synagogue is, you can go there today and the the foundation of the synagogue is still present. And you can actually go, I've been there a couple of times and you can look around and on the stone floor, there's etched in there like maybe where the kids would sit because there's like little games carved into the little stone. As church was going on, the kids were back there playing like little games, carving into the stone kind of a thing. Really cool. So, but that synagogue is actually, it's still there. You can go there. It's quite an experience to be right there on the Sea of Galilee, sitting, you know, in this, you know, ruins basically, but the synagogue that this is where Jesus, he taught from, like literally, physically, he actually taught from that place. And it's pretty amazing. So he's there. But he doesn't teach like a scribe. He's not quoting anybody. 
But he's not going to quote anybody. He's going to preach the word. I mean, in fact, if he's quoting anybody, he's quoting himself because it's his word. It's his word. Now, obviously, he's, you know, in total submission to the Father, and, but he's going to show up and he's going to just, whatever the scripture reading for that day was, he was able to deliver it and expound upon it in such a way that like he actually knew what he was talking about. And it wasn't just that he knew what he was talking about, because of course he knows what he's talking about, but he, he had this authority about him. He preached with authority. In fact, that's the one thing the people in the audience took note of. It says, verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious laws. So when Jesus showed up and opened up to maybe the book of Isaiah and read from that scripture and elaborated on it, it wasn't like, okay, let me tell you what Rabbi so-and-so says and then what Rabbi, I mean, a lot of times that's what the teaching was like for most people who showed up to synagogue. It was just quoting what this guy says and what this guy says and what this guy says. And it's just, you would assume after a while people are like, yeah, but what do you say? Like, what are your thoughts? Do you have any thoughts on this? Or are you just regurgitating what other people have already said? Jesus shows up and he's like, here's the reading. Here's what it means. Boom. Like authority, power. And people liked it. They appreciated it because they never had it. You really sometimes appreciate when you show up somewhere and you're like, oh, you guys actually teach the Bible. Yeah, we do. It's the only thing we really know how to do. It's the one thing we want to major on is teaching the word of God. I'm not clever enough to come up with things. And I don't even do this the right way. I, haven't, I didn't start off with a cool, funny story. Um, I try to work some of that stuff in, but I'm horrible at that stuff. I found that my strength is I'm just going to stick to the text and I'll illustrate when I can, because that's a really important thing to do. But as far as I'm concerned... I think you guys are here for the word of God, right? You want the word. And well, I think the people that were showing up to synagogues back in Jesus's day, they wanted the word. They wanted the word. Yeah, I'm glad that so-and-so said this about that at one point in time. And I, there's nothing wrong with quoting other people. I like to quote people here and there as well. But ultimately, it comes down to like, what does the word say? What does it say? And what does it mean? That's the thing. And Jesus had this authority and people were drawn to that. He didn't have any, there was no tricks. There's no gimmicks. There's no showmanship. There's none of that stuff. It's just open up your Bibles. Here's what it says. Here's what it means. And people actually like that stuff. I think that's kind of cool. I think that's pretty cool. Jesus wasn't in the business of like, he's not trying to like gain popularity. He wants to gain followers, but he's not looking to impress anybody. I love that about Jesus. I don't think Jesus really cared what anybody thought about him. In fact, we know he didn't care what anybody thought about him to that extent. He wasn't looking to impress anybody. He just showed up, taught with authority, unlike anybody else, and it made an impact on his hearers. So as they're sitting there in church, on a Saturday, because that's the Sabbath. He teaches with authority, powerful, amazing. People are in awe. Verse 23, suddenly, <laughs> a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit 
demon-possessed, cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is that church. This would be a fun little Sunday service, huh? You're showing up and then some demon-possessed person just stands up and starts yelling. You're like, okay, it just got real. Um, Look, can people still be demon-possessed? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I don't know if you've ever encountered that. And I have. Is it something to be afraid of? Not at all. No, not at all. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Not only for you as a believer, but for them as an individual. Because we're not afraid. We're not afraid of anything or anyone per se because of who we trust in. Was Jesus, you know, was he scrambling around, you know, like, like where's my ushers? You know, somebody tackle this guy. No, nope, not at all. Not at all. He taught with authority. And when Jesus shows up and when the word is taught, I can promise you this, the enemy may have a seat in the house as well. The enemy may have a seat in the house as well. But not not at church. Oh, yeah, no, at church. At church. Well, where else would he be? You're following the Lord you're trying to, man, you're just trying to walk with Jesus and you want to get into his word more and you want to be one of those ones like, I'm, I want to be an all-in follower, a disciple of Jesus. Well, I can tell you that the enemy will show up within your life. And sometimes it's not just like in weird random spots. Sometimes it's in the places where you least expect it, like at church. But we model everything just like Jesus here. And you go through the book of Acts and you know, we would model how we do church based on how they do it within the book of Acts. If they were to get together corporately and somebody demon-possessed were to show up and started raising a ruckus, well, then we handle that. We handle that. And it's, you don't need, and this is what's amazing, how, just how Jesus handles it. Because this demon shows up and he's like, he's possessed this guy and he immediately recognizes, he knows who Jesus is. The book of James tells us that even demons know who Jesus is. Even demons know that God is real, okay? They know him. They're not saved by him because they will never submit to him and they do not want to worship him or anything like that. But they know who he is. Do you believe in God? Cool. So do demons. Is your faith in Jesus? Is your faith, is your hope and your trust in him? That's the difference maker, as the book of James tells us. Well, a lot of people believe in God, but do you know him? Are you known by him, so to speak? This demon, this demonic spirit, they couldn't get Jesus in the wilderness. Remember, he was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and tempted by Satan for 40 days. Failed there. So now the enemy shows up at church and is going to try to like come at Jesus at church. And he immediately identifies him, Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? Is now the time, Jesus? The kingdom's at hand, right? So you're going to take us out now? I know who you are. In this term here, the Holy One of God, that, was, that would be a title only ascribed to God himself. So even the demon is letting people in who were at church that day in on a little secret that they probably weren't aware of. Like, no, he's the Holy One of God. He is the Messiah. The demon's proclaiming that. 
which you think like, well, that's a good thing, right? No, 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 because Jesus doesn't want to be associated with that guy. And he doesn't want any confusion, anybody in the audience hearing that and being like, well, that's true, right? So I guess we can, we'll just listen to those voices. No, 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 no. You don't want, because they say, you know, all publicity is good publicity. Well, that's not necessarily true, okay? So Jesus is going to squash this, but he's not going to permit this demon to speak anymore. Verse 25 says, but Jesus reprimanded him or rebuked him. Be quiet is the term there. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. So this demon is speaking, he's proclaiming this stuff, and what he's saying is actually true and all that, and Jesus is like, shut it, zip it, zip it which is kind of different from the exorcist of the day because there were exorcists back then as well. And they would do all sorts of crazy things. There was a lot of like showmanship with it. They had all these different ideas of how to get a a demon out of somebody. And sometimes they'd take like foul smelling stuff and they'd shove it up people's noses thinking like that foul smell would, you know, make the demon mad and leave the host, you know, kind of a deal. And they would try anything and everything. There was a lot of like, incantations and, you know, if you say this phrase and repeat this and I mean, just a whole bunch of stuff. Jesus just shows up and he's like, zip it, get out of them. That's it. No like hocus pocus, no nothing, no like none of that stuff. Just direct. Why? Because he has authority. He just preached the word of God with authority. This demon shows up. And Jesus is going to display his authority by telling them, you have to do what I say. You get out of it. You have to leave. You have to leave. And that's it. I don't want you to talk anymore. And note the demon stopped talking as soon as Jesus said that because he has to obey. And he threw him into convulsion and all that stuff. And that's sometimes a common experience when people have a, if, if you've ever dealt with that, demon possession, praying over somebody, that's not uncommon for this type of stuff to happen. That happened there, but Jesus wasn't, he wasn't worried about it because the demon had to listen to him and the demon had to obey him. This is, again, one of those things where you're like, this is scary stuff and I don't like to think about it. Well, what do you have to be afraid of? Because what we may not see within this terminology here, within the Greek this demon was like in this guy. And the same phrasing, the same wording there is what Paul would use later to describe how Christ is in you. In one sense, I think it was David Guzik who had said, Christians should be Jesus possessed, right? He is in you. He's in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, you have nothing to be afraid of. And especially when it comes to the world of the demonic, you have nothing to be afraid of if Christ is in you. Now, if he is not in you, he's not your Lord and Savior, here's one note of caution. Be careful what you expose yourself to. 
Because I believe the demonic realm is a real thing. I believe that there were a third of the hosts of heaven who rebelled against God and who were cast out of heaven. Satan, Lucifer, was the main guy there, okay? He's the devil. There were other angels and there were fallen angels and all that good stuff. And can they possess people? Yes, they can possess people. Absolutely. I think there are things that we can do. Now, I don't believe Christians can be possessed. Let me make sure you know this, okay? Because if the Holy Spirit takes up residency within your heart, no demon, not even Satan himself, can kick the Holy Spirit out of you. You understand that, right? Because the Holy Spirit is like a million times, million times stronger than Satan ever will be. Satan's an angel. The Holy Spirit is God. So if the Holy Spirit takes up residency within you, no demon or demons will ever be able to occupy that space. Now, you can be oppressed, like demons messing with you. I believe that's true. Absolutely. I think there's certain times and seasons that we may go through where the spiritual warfare is stronger than at other times. We call that oppression, not possession. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't take up residency within you, if you're not a Christ follower, you can be subject to being possessed. And there are different things that can open up avenues for that. We know that Um, well, we know that drugs can do, man, they can do that really well. We can open you up for all sorts of crazy stuff. Practices within the occult, those types of things. You need to be careful, just be cautious. And even as a believer, you don't take that as like, well, the Holy Spirit lives inside me, so now I can do this and that. No, 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 you still be cautious. I like, I want to distance myself away from anything that once could have been a pathway for a demon to take possession, to be in me. I want to distance myself as a believer from any of that stuff. I'm not afraid of some demon taking hold of me, but I think that's a good lesson for us to learn. Like, well, I don't, if I shouldn't have messed with it then, I definitely shouldn't mess with it now as a believer. Like that's what we call holiness is really what that is. We don't know anything about this man. You have, we have no clue as how, how long he'd been possessed by this evil spirit, what got him into this situation. We have no idea. All we know is he showed up to church one day and he got set free. And I think that's the bigger point. Because I don't need to know how. We don't need to know this guy's story before this Sabbath meeting with Jesus. What we need to know is that Jesus has absolute authority and anybody should be able to show up to church and be set free. Anybody. This should be a place where people can be set free because that's what Jesus is in the business of. He's in the business of setting people free. You don't know my story. You don't know all the stuff. I don't need to know all your stuff because I know him and he's got absolute authority. We, as his followers, sons, daughters, you get to tap into some of that authority. He said to his disciples, oh, the things that you've seen me do, you will do and greater. What did he mean by that? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But he was setting people free He was healing people. Do people still get healed today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes we limit 
the power and the activity of Jesus because of our, I think, westernized notions of like what's safe and what's comfortable. You know what I'm saying? We don't like to venture out into scary ground, so to speak. Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me... Of you, babe.